Howdy. What is this? I don't know. I guess that's where we're starting. All of our talking is just us bullshitting. And everybody knows it. I don't know. What's that? <laughs> it's, about a, it's been a so bumpy cool. ride. Um, Already. And we just started. Yeah. That's awesome. Dear, <laughs> seriously. Dear God. Okay. So let's just get into the EVPs. I might as well just left it on that screen. Um uh, I, I really don't have a lot. A couple of reminders. We're going to be at SpiritCon next May in St. Augustine, Florida. I sell art now. Find it on Podcast Shop. And, well, we're doing the USS North Carolina in two weeks. So I'm excited for that one. And that's pretty much, that's all I got. What do you got? Uh, a whole lot of nothing. Just living life. Busy, busy, busy. I know. It's I ridiculous. did go... Yeah, I took Zane to the Lion King yesterday. That was super fun. It was, was his it? first Broadway show. Yeah, so really good one to start off. Lots of stuff going on. Bar raised um, real high. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like it's there's so much going on that there's it's constantly entertaining. So oh, there's good. always something to look at. It's not uh, yeah, you know, just the singing or dancing or whatever. So oh, how fun! And the costumes, man, the costumes are so cool. So. Really? Um, That's cool. Yeah, he got a little squirmy, but he managed to do pretty good. Good. The only problem is that he whispers at about this level, so he does not understand <laughs> that maybe everybody doesn't want to hear his commentary. Right. And <laughs> he's all mystery science three thousand up in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of a little bit for a minute there. I was like, Shh. he's like, I am quiet. <laughs> I'm like, you're really not. <laughs> I promise you're not. <laughs> that's and you could funny. ask like the 10 people around us that are probably also <laughs> right yeah the actors on stage are like shh <laughs> yeah yeah but it was awesome it was good fun. i'm glad that we good place to start with introduction like he's been to the symphony and stuff but yeah um yeah not um something you know where he really needs to be quiet and kind of sit still so he did pretty good that's great that's great. Coy never yeah, would have I was excited. Never was would have been interested in anything like that. The symphony plays nothing. Like I wasn't even gonna try. We my mom and I had talked when he was younger about taking him to see the nutcracker. Um okay. and no, I mean he could barely sit through movies. I was like, that's not I'm not gonna spend that kind of money just to have to leave in the middle of it because Koi can't deal. Um and now That's that he's an have, adult, like, he has no zero interest in it at all. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I bought seats, like the cheapest seats, just in case that happened. I wasn't, I didn't, yeah. you know, gonna invest a lot of money. I was like, well, if it happens, it happens. <laughs> At least, right. You know, the seats weren't too much. I'm not too put out. Yeah. So I figured he's he's old enough now that he's making it through movies. So I kind of figured we could do it. You yeah. Know, I was a little touch and go there for a minute, but we made <laughs> well, it. Well, that's great. <laughs> That's yeah, great. That's awesome. Yay. Um, I've never mm-hmm. seen a Broadway play. Um, so I don't know, but I hear they're really something that everybody should see at least once. So, yeah, if you can, if you live somewhere that you can go and uh, you can get, you know, some decent price tickets because some of the shows are, are pretty expensive, but yeah, if you can get in there. It's, it's totally worth it. That's cool. Um, Jennifer and Janice and Emma just went and saw 
oh my God, it escapes me what they went and saw, but Jennifer was so, it was a ballet. Oh, they went and saw the Black Swan. They went and saw Black Swan. No, not Black Swan. Not Black Swan. Swan Lake. Swan Swan Lake. Lake. Yes. Which I said Black Swan because I was like, sorry, I I will always think of Black Swan when I hear Swan Lake. So that was her first time at the ballet. that is a ballet, but okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> Maybe that, that was a scary, <laughs> that was a disturbing movie, right, about Swan, yeah. gotcha. Um, yeah, no, they went and saw Swan Lake, and it was her first ballet, and she was, it hooked immediately. She was so in love and had the best time, and so I just don't have people around me in my immediate family that would want to do anything like that, so we never have. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. looking forward to next year because Juice... The musical is coming. Who? What is? And like one of my all-time favorite, Beetlejuice. <gasps> Stop it. Like the movie? <gasps> yeah. So I'm totally waiting for tickets to go on sale so I can get them and go. Yeah. I don't care if it's terrible. It's Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm super excited about it. That's going to be so great. I hope anyway. Yeah, for sure. Um, give me just one second. All right. We're back. We're back. Hi. Sorry. <laughs> My phone was blowing up. I had to address it real quick so that it would stop. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's it. I've been doing nothing, just kind of painting and 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 getting paintings ready to ship out and cleaning and relaxing, and that's about it. I've got two full weekends where I'm not don't have anywhere to be or anywhere to go, so I've got a lot of chores and stuff planned and organization and reorganization and. I've only lived in this house for a year, but it's already all like jacked up. I'm like, what happened to this beautiful house? <laughs> that happens. It's ridiculous. So anyway, that's all I got. All right. All right. Let's get into it. All right. I'm going to put up the episode title. Laura, please tell them where we're going because the title may not work based on the night you and I are having. It worked. So we are going to the Hotel Galvez in Galveston. Yay! Okay, let's see if your sources work. <gasps> they do. All right, so my sources are history.com, galveston.com, galvestonghost.com, moderndaytripper.com. Moderndaytripper.com. That reminds me of our friends Jody and Lisa. They're uh what are they? Mid-Atlantic day trips. Day trippers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, day trips. I love a good day trip. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, losers. Um, <laughs> for real. All right. Okay. Tell you about this. Tell me about the right. history of this joint because it's kind of cool. I kind of like it. It and, is pretty cool. Yeah. So the hotel and the city of Galveston are both named for American Revolutionary War hero Bernardo de Galvez. Um, Galvez lived from 1746 to 1786. Oh. And he was a Spanish military officer who led Spanish forces against Britain in the war. Wow. Um, and, yeah. And he's he is one of just eight people to be awarded honorary U.S. citizenship. Really? Um, yeah. Um, the funny thing is, though, he had never actually visited the island. <laughs> so, cool. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Kind of a weird place to get the name but hey. a little but i mean so, hey he sounds like he was quite a quite the officer so why not yeah 
So on September 8th uh, in the year 1900, um, a Category 4 hurricane hit Galveston, and it remains to this day the deadliest natural U.S. or natu- deadliest natural disaster in U.S. history. All right, I got it out. Oh my God! <laughs> um, it claimed the lives four. of an S. Yeah, it claimed the lives of an S. Six thousand to twelve thousand people, which at the time uh, was about one sixth of the city's population. Holy crap! Um, so tragically, the magnitude of the disaster could have been lessened if the U.S. Weather Bureau hadn't implemented such poor communication policies. Uh, so when the storm picked up in early September of 1900, um, quote, any modestly educated weather forecaster would have known that it was passing west, says Carrie Emanuel, a professor of atmospheric science at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, over in Cuba, where scientists had become very good at tracking storms in the hurricane-prone Caribbean, they knew that a hurricane had passed to the north of Cuba and was headed to the Gulf of Mexico. The Weather Bureau in Washington, however, predicted that the storm would pass over Florida and up to New England, uh, which was clearly very, very wrong. Very, very uh, wrong. Director- <laughs> right. So the Bureau's director, Willis Moore, um, it was so jealous of the Cubans that he shut off the flow of data from Cuba to the U.S. That is um, the, the dumbest same... bunch of yeah. bullshit ever. Right. So basically, typical U.S. strategy. Um, at the same time, Moore told regional U.S. forecasters that they could not, on their own, issue a hurricane warning. They had to go through Washington, uh, which was not obviously very quick or easy task in 1900. Right. <laughs> so the, the combination of blocking information from Cuba while also making it difficult for local forecasters to report hurricanes turned out to be deadly. Uh, and the couple days before the storm hit, the Weather Bureau's chief observer, Galveston, Isaac Klein, began to suspect that Washington's forecast had been off. He tried to warn the city, but it was too late. Klein's wife was killed. The port city was devastated and Galveston was never able to fully recover. Yeah. Among the tragic deaths in the hurricane were the losses from the St. Mary's Orphan Orphan Asylum. The asylum was situated right on the ocean front. I don't love that Um, name. Why is it an orphan asylum? Like I get, I I get the meaning of the word asylum, which is why they were called asylum so that people could seek asylum and care. But it's got such a negative connotation now that I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound great at all. <laughs> like a trans allegheny for little kids that are unwanted by their parents. It didn't work pa- out well uh, either. So, um, for sure. So sister Elizabeth Ryan, uh, she was one of 10 sisters at St. Mary's Orphanage. She had come into town that morning to collect food. Despite pleas from Mother Gabriel, the assistant superior at St. Mary's Infirmary, um, for her to stay at the hospital until the storm passed, Sister Elizabeth said she had to return to the orphanage. Uh, She said that she had, you know, provisions in the wagon, and if she didn't return, the children would have no supper. Yeah. Uh, She didn't know that whether she returned or not, there would be no supper, no more suppers at the orphanage. Uh, During the afternoon, the winds and rain continued to increase. Uh, The tides of the Gulf rose higher and higher with fierce waves crashing on the beach, sending floodwaters into the residential areas. St. Mary's Orphanage consisted of two large two-story dormitories just off the beach, as I said, behind a row of tall sand dunes that was were supported by salt cedar trees. 
the buildings had balconies that faced the Gulf. According to one of the boys at the orphanage, the rising tides began eroding the sand dunes as though they were made of flour. Soon oh the God. waters of the Gulf reached the dormitories. The sisters at the orphanage brought all of the children into the girls' dormitory because it was newer and stronger of the two. Okay. In the fir first floor chapel, they tried to calm the children by having them sing Queen of the Waves. The waters continued to rise. Taking the children to the second story of the dormitory, the sisters had Henry Esquire, a worker, collect clothesline rope. Again, they had the boys and girls sing Queen of the Waves. One of the boys later said that the children were very frightened and the sisters were very brave. By 6 p.m., the wind was gusting past 100 miles per hour and the waters of the Gulf and Bay had met, completely flooding the city. Oh my God. Residents climbed to the second stories, attics, and even roofs of their homes. Um, flying debris struck many who dared venture outside of their homes. Oh my God. Whoops. Sorry. I, I just, speaking of, I just got an emergency alert for a dust storm. I'm oh, like, shit, really? He's <laughs> like, oh no, what's happening? <laughs> I've spoken it into existence. Oh, God. <laughs> right. We need to stop talking about this shit right now. <laughs> so. Um, around 7.30, the main tidal surge struck the South Shore. Um, houses along the beachfront were lifted from their foundations and sent like battering rams into other houses. Oh my so God. So houses fell upon houses. At St. Mary's Infirmary, the floodwaters filled the first floor. From the second story balcony, the sisters pulled refugees in as they floated by and brought them into the overcrowded hospital. Um, almost every window in the facility was broken out, sending the wind and rain whipping through the building. At the orphanage, the children and sisters heard the crash of the boys' dormitory as it collapsed and was carried away by the floodwaters. Um, the sisters cut the clothesline rope into sections and used it to tie the children to their waists. Each sister tied herself to um, between six to eight children. It was a valiant yet sacrificial effort to save the children. Some of the older children climbed onto the roof of the orphanage. Eventually, the dormitory building that had been the sanctuary for the children and the sisters was lifted from its foundation. My God. The bottom fell out and the roof came crashing down, trapping those inside. Only three boys from the orphanage survived. William Murney, Frank Madeira, and Albert Campbell. My God. Miraculously, all three ended up together in a tree in the water. After floating for more than a day, they were eventually able to make their way into town where they told the sisters what had happened at the orphanage. Um, so about 90 children and 10 nuns, I believe, all perished. Mm -hmm. And the three children survived. Um, on October 5th, the Liberty Vindicator, which is the paper, um, mm -hmm. reported that nothing remained but strips of black robes and blue working aprons of the sisters fluttering on the trees. The asylum was now a sandy waste. One of the boys um, remembered a sister tightly holding two small children in her arms, promising not to let go. The sisters were buried wherever they were found, with the children still attached to them. Two of the sisters were found together across the bay on the mainland. One of them was tightly holding two small children in her arms. Even in death, she had kept her promise not to let go. The site of the burials of many of the children is said to be where the Hotel Galvez now stands. 
You're bringing me down, Laura. You're bringing me down. I know. I know. It's a super bummer. <laughs> and we haven't even started talking about all of those. Oh, my God. <laughs> but that's important because it's where yeah. the hotel got its, you know, its foundation. It's it's built on that. Uh, so the hotel opened in June of 1911. Um, and it was built at a cost of a million dollars, which is, holy shit, a lot of money back mm, then. Yeah. Um, still a lot of money but really a lot of money back then. No. The Hotel Galvez uh, was an elegant landmark at the east end of the seawall. Uh, thoroughly modern and luxurious, it was billed by Hotel Monthly in 1912 as the, quote, best arranged and most richly furnished seaside hotel in America, end quote. They were also known for their roller chairs, um, which apparently made it possible for those too lazy to walk to be rolled around the lobby and across the grounds in large wheeled wicker chairs. Seriously, this was a popular thing. Because <laughs> um, I spin around in my roller chair. <laughs> in her office. Uh, so despite this, it was super weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Hotel Galvez uh, flourished through the jazz age and the big band era hosting legendary dances and parties. Uh, so life was good in Galveston once again. Yay. Uh, let's have a look at a picture. Uh, all right. Let's look it up. Cool. It was beautiful. I mean, it really was. Yeah. yeah. These are some of the pictures from like when it was first new. It's huge and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is a huge, it is a very large hotel. It is. It's really quite stunning too. Are you lost? Oh, no. I was like, I thought you were going to keep talking about it. Oh, no, no. That was it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, sorry. Um, so, the pageant of pulchritude, um, which means... I'm sorry, what? Is an annual pulchritude. Pulchritude? Oh, pulchritude. Okay, okay. Uh, it's an annual beauty contest that began in 1920 and ended during the Great Depression. And this was held in front of the Hotel Galvez. Um, several movie stars, including Joan Blondell, uh, she was huge, like, in the 30s. She was actually in Greece as the head waitress. Bye. Oh, my God, I loved her. Yeah, so she was in movies forever, <sighs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Super, super cute. So, um, but yeah, so she was discovered during, um, her appearance in, at that, um, beauty contest. Um, it was the first true swimsuit competition that included contestants from around the world. And this contest later evolved into the Miss Universe pageant. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to know where they come from, there you go. Wow. All right. Um, right. In 1940, the hotel would serve as a five-star living and working facility of the U.S. Coast Guard during World War II. Wow. Following a two-year period during which rooms were not rented to tourists, the hotel uh, reemerged as a hub for the nascent gambling industry that flourished on the island in the 40s and through the mid-50s. Okay. Uh, the Hotel Galvez became particularly popular on the island, leading to Galveston's moniker, the Vegas of the South. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So by the 1940s, the allure of the original beach town began to fade. But thanks to gambling, Galveston was more popular than ever. 
It was illegal, of course, but this was the era of mob bosses, so it didn't really matter. It didn't. Galveston trans... <laughs> no. So Galveston transformed into an Atlantic city of sorts, and the Hotel Galvez was wildly popular with wealthy, wealthy socialites and celebrities, including Duke Ellington, Sammy Davis Jr., and Frank Sinatra. Uh, the little rat pack. Yeah. And mob boss Sam Maceo, who owned the Balinese Room and the Hollywood Dinner Club, he even lived in a penthouse at the Hotel Galvez during this time. Because when you're a mob boss, you can kind of do whatever you want. Sure. Um, unfortunately, the Texas Rangers eventually crashed that party um, and moved it along to Las Vegas. And the Hotel Galvez was left to reinvent itself once again. Yeah. Um, have you seen pictures of the bar? No. No. Um, okay. Well, it's this big, beautiful mahogany bar. Um, that's in the hotel lobby. It was originally housed in the old Galveston Club, which was Galveston's last speakeasy from the days of Prohibition. Love a good the speakeasy. Of, right? How cool is that? The purveyor of old Galveston Club, Santos Cruz, is noted to have created the margarita during his time at the Balinese Room in the late 1940s. Man, this place has just kind of got all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> it sure does. So the bar was moved to the Galvez in the mid nineties and remains one of the coolest places to grab a drink. Um, today the hotel Galvez is fresh off an $11 million renovation. Uh, the lobby and common areas are absolutely stunning. The original tile floor shines and the inviting lobby retains many of the hotel's original features. There is a fabulous exhibit in the basement containing historic photographs, as well as items from the hotel's past. Uh, a beautiful saltwater pool beckons these days, which is far more inviting than the Gulf waters. Because if you've ever gone swimming in the off the coast of Texas, it's like it's not cool. <laughs> it's like kind of gross brown water. It's oh, very, like, really? Yeah, uh, like, I've never ever so. been to the Gulf. The closest I came was when we drove here from um, Phoenix. Oh, really? Yeah, we went down through New Orleans and then through Mississippi and Biloxi and like like all right along the Gulf. But I've never actually like yeah. visited it. Oh. Well, now you have an excuse to go see the uh, Grand Galvez. Right? Except not days. the Gulf because apparently it's not great. <laughs> this is I not mean, a, I wouldn't go into hurricanes. This but... is hardly a commercial for the Gulf. <laughs> Not so much, yeah. Yeah. Probably not. Well, and that's the history of the Hotel Gavis. Oh, my God. That was really great. That was really great. And we were just talking about Duke Ellington the other day, weren't we? I mean, probably. <laughs> I don't know how many times we talk about Duke Ellington. He seems to show up a lot so many he of these He does, places. yeah. Hmm, that's weird. I'm going to have to right. research okay. that a little bit. <laughs> that's funny. It's, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Great job. I loved it. That's exciting. Thanks. Well, it, you brought it back up, but I was really starting to bum out real fucking hard. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you can't really yeah, have an orphanage in a hurricane and things be good. No, it's bad. That's not yeah. great. It's not great. I rubbed no, my eyeliner so off much. my eye. Okay. Um, the ghosts. So let's see if my little source button works. 
Hey, my sources are um, MitchellHistoricProperties.com, uh, GalvestonGhostAndHauntedRooms.com. So it said that every great hotel must have its ghost and the Hotel Galvez has one who has been around for at least half a century. So according to Jan Johnson, who happens to be a fifth generation Galvestonian and author of the walking historic Galveston book, the Hotel Galvez could be ghost could be a bride to be named Audra. Legend has it that it was um, legend has it that it, the woman was about 25 years old and she was staying in room 501. Um, in the mid 1950s, she was engaged to a mariner who sailed in and out of the port of Galveston. And whenever his ship was due in port, she would leave room 501, take the elevator to the eighth floor, climb the narrow ladder that opened under one of the four um, turrets of the hotel that sit at each corner of the main roof, but like main roof. Mm -hmm. sheltered from the weather she would wait inside the turret and watch through an opening for the ships coming in and her fiance's ship so i guess there had been another storm and for days there was no word of his ship finally she had heard that the ship had gone down and that all hands were lost so she refused to abandon hope Uh, however she continued to climb the roof each day praying for some sign but no ship was ever sighted in despair according to legend she hanged herself in the bathroom of room 501 um of course because this story it doesn't have a great ending a few days after her death her mariner boyfriend appeared at the hotel very much alive and looking forward to a marriage that was never to be so she is one of the most popular um, and oft-seen ghosts at the Hotel Galvez. Nearly everyone on the hotel staff has heard the story, and some believe that mm-hmm. it is in fact true. Um, one of the concierges said that her spirit is locked inside the hotel. She never crossed over. Um, this particular individual was born on the island and is the fourth generation of her family to work at the hotel. So, yeah, she said that she has uh, not only felt the presence of the ghost bride, but also of other spirits who dwell at the hotel. She said, my father was a mortician, and I think my familiarity with death makes the spirits feel comfortable with me and me with them. I buy it. I'm here for that. (laughs) So, um, in addition to the ghost bride story... um, Staff has reported seeing the ghost of a young girl bouncing a ball in the lower level of the hotel. Housekeeping staff has also reported the feeling or reported feeling the presence of a man in the corner of the hotel's laundry room. While this activity was reported in the lower level of the hotel, staff and guests have also experienced odd occurrences in the restaurant and lobby. So things like candles blowing out on their own, dishes moving or breaking. Um, Guests and staff have also reported hearing breathing sounds in the ladies' bathroom near the music hall and children's laughter in the salon bathroom. So... Following Hurricane Ike, which struck Galveston in September of 2008, several members of the hotel staff who had stayed at the hotel as their homes were being repaired reported seeing a woman dressed in an old-fashioned maid's uniform and a man walk through a guest room and disappear. Oh, that's weird. That is weird. 
So room 501 is supposedly one of the most haunted rooms in the hotel, as I had just mentioned. The staff um, know the lovelorn lady, is what she's called, um, is Mm. around when they feel a sudden cold breeze, hear doors slamming, and when televisions or lights are turned, um, when televisions or lights are turned on or off, um, she will turn them on or off without explanation. So... Um, front desk attendants have stated that they experience problems when attempting to code the car- the key cards for that room. Um, it's almost as if something or someone is kind of prevent is kind of creating a malfunction in the little machine that they sl- slide it into code the key for that particular hotel room. Um, uh-huh. like someone's interfering with the electronic equipment to make the keys. Um, a housekeeper once reported that a strange light was coming out from under the door of room 501. When she called the front desk, she was told the room was vacant. She opened the door and found no one there and no explanation for the very bright golden light that she saw. Weird. Poor housekeeping. It's always housekeeping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just getting the shit out of me. I mean, um, a guest mentioned, right? Yeah. Always, always tip your room attendants. Yes. Um, a guest once mentioned an odd light up in the turret where she, the bride would go and wait for her lover's ship. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, where, I lost my place. Uh, guest management. Ah, odd light up in the turret. Sorry guys. Um, while renovations were underway to the hotel and the turrets were not actually lit staff and electricians investigated, but found no source of power to the turret, nor had anyone gained access with candles or flashlights. So you had told us about the story of the orphanage and you had mentioned that in an effort to save the children, the, sisters tied children to them by their waists with clothesline cord um mm-hmm. and that the bodies of several children and this is some of the sisters were found tied together near the beach um where the galvez now sits um mm-hmm. it's believed that the 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 sisters doing that actually sort of hastened their deaths because the kids couldn't get away. They couldn't, they were like stuck tied to, you know, these adults and they couldn't like swim. And so they, they think that it was more harmful than helpful. But the fact that they were buried where they were found does lend another bit of, you know, possibility as to why this hotel is haunted. So rumors of nuns are seen, in this hotel, which would freak me out. <laughs> ghost, <laughs> ghost children. Are, well, I went to Catholic school, so nuns are kind of scary, like already. Already, like, yes. So nun ghost children, which they also has, and ghost nuns. Oh God. Oh God. Um so in addition to this, the first floor bathroom of this place is kind of infamous because one of the most compelling stories um, that this author of this article that I had read said was from a guest at the Galvez Hotel. And it was about this first floor bathroom near the music hall where I had mentioned a minute ago, they tend to hear um, laughing and breathing in this bathroom, like a man's breath breathing in the women's bathroom. So... 
the bathroom had been remodeled, but prior to the renovations, um, I guess the bathroom had always had this creepy vibe. So this one guest told this individual that she was using the hot tub in the pool one night, came through the side door to use the first floor bathroom by the music hall. It was late around 11 o'clock. She reports that once she was inside the ballroom or the bathroom, the stall lights went out. <laughs> that would be so scary. <laughs> And then you hear a fucking breath. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At first, she thought it was a friend who'd followed her in to play a joke. However, she began to hear loud footsteps that sounded like boots on tile, followed by loud breathing. And finally, a man verbally said, get out. Mm Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Um, the combination of events sent her running um, when she went back to the hot tub and she found no one from her group missing. She then reported the incident to a security guard on duty um, who immediately went to view the security footage to see if somebody had followed her into the bathroom. Um, right. Reportedly, uh, the security guard had told her that no one had followed her into the bathroom and no one was seen exiting the bathroom after her. God. Especially because you go into a women's bathroom, a public bathroom in a hotel, you hear a man in there. That's terrifying. Ghost or no. That's terrifying. Um, When the lights went out, that's what uh, I would be like. Right. And then combine it with the other stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck no. Mm -mm. More because you think it's a real person. I wouldn't be scared if I knew it was a ghost. Right. (laughs) But if you think if there's a real man in there, like... That's really scary. Yeah. So guests have also reported hearing a woman laughing, spotted a man with a shaved head and a blank expression lurking in the corners of the bathroom. And some people have noted unexplained shadows in their photos. Guests also report the feeling of something or someone fiddling with their jewelry, even though there was nobody else in the bathroom with them. This bathroom is hella fucked. (laughs) So fucked. Um... So the little girl is another unexplained apparition that has been seen from time to time in the hotel. She's often described as wearing a 1900 era period clothing and bouncing a ball. Staff have reported seeing her in the hotel lobby, near the gift shop, on the staircase, and on multiple floors of the hotel. So most recently, she was seen by often by construction workers who were working to change the hotel's basement into a luxury spa. Construction workers complained to the front desk staff. It happens in every episode. Construction workers complained to front desk staff that a little girl was playing in the construction area and they were afraid that she was going to be hurt. Um, phantom children can often be heard playing throughout the hotel, especially on the third floor. Guests report the sounds of children running and laughing through the halls late at night when most children should be in bed. Obviously never met my child. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Tricksters as they're, um, called are known to play the piano, um, in the lobby, knock over drink trays in the music hall, restaurant and the bar and are, and often call out to female customers and guests who they identify as mommy. These little ghosts will call female guests, mommy. Um, Again, more children's laughter in that creepy first floor bathroom, which I would much rather... Oh, no, I don't know. The lights go off and I hear a child giggle. 
Yeah, much much less intimidating, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would be like, you little shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's widely believed that the little ghost children are possibly the orphans that were killed during the 1900 storm. So, which yeah, isn't, sounds- yeah, isn't su- surprising at all. Um, additionally, we're going back to this bathroom because I can't get enough. Toilets flush by themselves. Stall doors shake while you're in there and nobody else is in there with you. (laughs) (laughs) This bathroom is so fucked up. Um, It totally is. Faucets on the sink um, would turn on by themselves. Voices can also even be heard when the room is empty. Also, the strange scent of gardenias has been reported. Um, and the gardenia seems to be the sign of whatever paranormal entity haunts the room, which I can, I mean, what a pleasant smell in a bathroom. Right. If you're going to bring it, bring it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so It's like Bath and Body Works is haunting it. Sounds great. Right. <laughs> um... <laughs> So one of the tour guides was telling stories to a, a group that she was taking on a ghost tour um, throughout the hotel, which is what you and I were talking about earlier today and how this hotel really plays up their paranormal. And I love that. They don't try to downplay it. The staff isn't like, no, that didn't happen. That's not real. There are no ghosts here. This hotel embraces it. And I think that that's wonderful. I love hotels like this one and the Stanley that do that places like other places like the Driscoll Congress Plaza hotel in Chicago. They're very like, "Mm -mm, I don't know what you're talking about. There are no ghosts here kind of a thing. So I'm a big fan of the ones that are like, fuck yeah, we got tons of ghosts. Come on in. (laughs) Um, But don't use that bathroom. Um, (laughs) Well, when I stayed at the one in Austin, they did um, the Driscoll. Yeah. They, cause I said, you know, is do you have any whatever the haunted room is now? I don't remember what it was, but it was available, and it was like a smaller room than I originally booked. But yeah, so we got yeah. in that, and uh, yeah, so that was cool. So they didn't act like it wasn't well. That's good. It wasn't real or whatever. They were just like, yeah, we got the haunted room. <laughs> Love it. That's good. That's okay. So cool. Yeah. Um, so this tour guide um, said that a spa employee who had cleaned the glass doors before locking up um, the the night before had found tiny handprints on the inside of the glass the next morning when she went to open up the spa. Um, there had been another time. There had been another time when a medium had visited the hotel and she had tried to help a nun's spirit cross over, but had been rebuffed by the entity. Hmm. So maybe they're still there taking care of the little ghost children, orphans. I don't know. Um, Yeah. And then she pulled up a photo on her iPad that seemed to capture the outline of a woman in a black and white habit standing in the back corner of the room that her and the group were in. Mm hmm. Um, I haven't been able to include one in a while, but I love a good TripAdvisor review on some of these locations. <laughs> and I found one that's super great. Um, so TripAdvisor was another source. Sorry, guys. So this was written back in, I think, 2018 by Traz J67. And they say, quote, we stayed there last month for a national sales meeting and seven of our group had real ghost encounters. Real is capitalized. Um, One guy even filmed it and captured his dresser drawer opening all by itself. He said the drawer was open when he came in from the bathroom three times and finally he closed it and filmed it slowly opening. 
three times in the bathroom? Like, were you purposely going in there just to see if it would shut? Or did you have, pro- I, like, I have questions about this guy and, and yeah. the, the frequent bathroom mm-hmm. trips. But anyway, um, they go on to say, stay on the seventh or fifth floor, which are the most active. The concierge will give you one of the electri- electric pulse detectors, which is fun. We are going back to take the haunted tour in a couple of weeks. And then the <laughs> hotel responded back to their review and was like, thank you so much for your your kind review. We were so glad to have you and we're super excited to have you back in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, it was just a really wonderful interaction on TripAdvisor. The hotel seems, their customer service seems really, really, really great. Um which I feel like it should be if you have a creepy man in that bath. I can't get past that bathroom. I'm sorry. I just can't. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I have on the ghosts of the Hotel Galvez. If you guys want to check out their rates and availability, you can call them at 409-515-2154. Their uh, website is hotelgalvezspa.com and they are located at 2024 Seawall Boulevard, Galveston, Texas, 77550. And that's the Hotel Galvez. <laughs> Yay. That was a good one. Super fun. Yeah. 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 That's super interesting. Super interesting. Uh, Except for that story, Laura. That was horrible. Well, that part's not awesome. Mm-mm. But it does make for a good. It does lay the foundation. Yeah. And it lays yeah, the foundation kinda... as to why it's haunted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if anywhere is going to be haunted, it's going to be that fucking place. A thousand percent, yeah. So, um, not a big fan of the, you know, wanting to go to hot desert areas like Galveston and the humidity and the Gulf. And so maybe we'll get there. Maybe we won't. I don't have this one's not really high on my list, but I would be curious to, you know, hang out in that bathroom for a couple of hours and just be like, what's going on in here? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how bad. I've never been to Galveston, but I have been to Houston, which is pretty close, and yeah, it's quite humid there. So. Yeah, for sure. Oof. Yeah, pretty bad. So, anyway, um, I do have a strange history. We have not done strange history, guys, in a while. So I do have a quick little strange history story out of my wonderful little book here from jennifer i just flipped it open and was like whatever story this is is what we're going to tell today so this is going to be vlad be impaling (laughs) (laughs) so 15th century roman ruler vlad dracula was better known as vlad tepes or vlad the impaler uh, for his method of torturing and executing thousands of his enemies and even his own countrymen by impaling them upon wooden poles. A certifiable psycho, Vlad enjoyed watching people suffer and made sure an impalement took several hours, sometimes even days. Ugh. There were even various forms of impalement depending on age, rank, or gender. Yet amazingly, in spite of his legendary cruelty, Vlad is often spoken of as a hero in Romanian history. Why? Because he used the terror of his reign to maintain public order and defend the country against foreign invasion. One time, he scared off an advancing army by displaying the impaled remains of previous invaders, 20,000 Turks, outside of his city. But old habits die hard, and when Dracula was later overthrown and imprisoned, he would catch insects and mice in his cell and impale them. (laughs) 20,000 Turks. That smell had to be just horrific. 
It had to be just horrific. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, for sure. Um, we totally need to go there too. Right, I know. <laughs> We've got to. Um, so yeah, that was Strange History. I was like, you know what? I found the book and I put it in my little bookshelf here so I wouldn't lose it again. So we are going to start doing Strange History and it's just going to be another random thing. I'll just flip it open and be like, what are we talking about today? Um, so today was uh, Dracula. And whatever weird, weird, creepy duty was. And to that end, Laura, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us? You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter <clears throat> at HOAH Podcast. Yay! Woo! And on the TikTok at HOAH Podcast, at HOAH Carrie, and at HOAH Co host Laura. Yay. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. We really appreciate it. We are so grateful for you guys. We love you very much. Um, I don't have anything else to say to wrap the show up. How about you, Laura? Nope. Nope. You guys take care. Yeah, you guys stay safe out there because you never know who or what is listening. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week.